Hey, I want to introduce you to my friend Kayla. She's awesome, and she loves serving with the babies and faith kids, but she's going to read scripture this morning, so take it away, Kayla. Good morning. Today's scripture reading will be from Philippians 3, verses 15 to 21. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is God's word. That's where we are, Philippians chapter 3. If you've got a Bible with you, go there, Philippians chapter 3. Hey, have you ever stayed, maybe you went on vacation, you ever stayed in a, a motel or maybe an Airbnb or something where it's so bad, you're like, man, I just hope we make it through the night, right? Like, it's just totally sketch, and it's scary. Some sleazy, scuzzy motel. Uh, we went on vacation to San Diego one year. We lived in Arizona, so a short drive over to San Diego. And the thing about hotels in San Diego are pretty expensive. And so you kind of got to find that right combination of like, it's pretty nice. It looks clean, but it's not going to break the bank. And so we found a place online and we go to San Diego and we get there and pull in and the place, it, it looks, you know, it's not great. The picture's sort of oversold what we were, what we were looking at. And so, okay, we've already paid for it here. It is what it is. We get our keys. We go to our hotel room and we open the door to our hotel room. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if there was a water leak. I don't know, but there was standing water like everywhere, all across the hotel room on the carpet, just standing water. And my kids were little at the time and they just started jumping in it like it was puddles. And it's a true story, just splashing everywhere. It was terrible. I'm like, all right, we're, let's go. We're out of here. So we go back to the front desk and we tell them, and they're, of course, like, oh, my goodness. They seem sincerely embarrassed. We're so sorry. We're going to send maintenance, and we're going to get you another room. In fact, we're going to upgrade your room because of the inconvenience. It's like, okay, I guess we're going to try this again. And so they give us different room keys, and they give us a, a map of where our room is, and they say, listen, you got to, where this room is, it's actually in the new tower, and so you got to drive across the parking lot to get there. So here's the map. Here's your keys. Drive over there. Take the elevators. There's your room. And so, okay, they're being cool. We'll give it a shot. So we get in the car, we drive across the parking lot. Sure enough, brand new tower of the hotel sitting right in front of us. Okay, it looks good, right? So we park the car, we get our suitcases, we get the kids, and we start to walk to our room. And along the way, there are two gentlemen. I assume these are fine, upstanding citizens. But to get to the elevators, we had to ask them to take their drug deal somewhere else so that we could... <laughs> keep walking with our kids. Have you ever stayed at a place like this? A place that's a little sketch, a little scary, right? Some sleazy kind of place. Hard to sleep in a place like this. One of our staff members was telling me this week about a time he was on a, a, a missions trip in Malaysia, and they walked into their room and quickly saw something scurrying across the wall. It was a chicken spider, a spider so big it can kill a chicken. There are places like this in the world. I imagine it's hard to sleep there 
as well. The reason I'm telling you all this, I want to get your mind thinking about some bad hotel experience you've had is because I came across a quote that is perfect for our passage today and for what we're going to talk about. This quote is from Mother Teresa of all people. Here's what she said. She said, this life in light of eternity will be nothing more than a bad night in a cheap motel. (laughs) Some of you know what that is, a bad night in a cheap motel. And of course, what she's saying is that all with all the glory and splendor and beauty of the life to come, this life is nothing. This life is cheap. It's dirty. It's scary. Let's just get it over with. We've been in a sermon series going through the book of Philippians called Joyful Loser. And over the last number of weeks, one of the things that we've said is that we can be people who have joy. We can be joyful people because we know that in the end, God wins. In the end, God wins. Here's the problem. Right now, we're stuck in a cheap, dirty hotel. It's awesome that God wins. I can't wait for the day that we get there and God wins. But what about right now? Because I'm right here, stuck in this dirty, cheap hotel. How do I get from here to there? How do we get from this, this dirty hotel room to the day where God wins? How do we get from here to there with joy? That's what we're going to talk about today. So Apostle Paul is going to tell us in Philippians chapter three, we're going to get right into it. How do we maintain that joy? Here's what he says. He writes to the Philippians, for as I have told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul tells us something that we already know, that there are people in the world who are living as enemies, living opposed to Jesus Christ. They're living opposed to the message and the cross of Christ. And Paul says these people have nothing. They have no joy. They have no hope in this life or the life to come. And he says, that brings me no pleasure. I mean, you, you know people like this. Some people probably that you love that live as opposed to the gospel of Jesus, either because they haven't yet heard about the message of Christ, the love of God, or because they've flat out rejected it. And Paul says those people have no lasting hope. They have no joy for now and into eternity. It's not a philosophical idea. He's, he's talking about real people with, with names and faces. These might be our sons and our daughters, our brothers and our sisters, our friends and our coworkers, people living without any hope, with no lasting joy. He describes them this way. He says, first, their God is their stomach. Likely he's talking about pursuing just chasing after our fleshly desires, whatever makes us happy. He might also be talking about religion, people that are bound to religion. Have you met somebody that's enslaved by religion? Not a lot of joy in their life, is there? Their God is their stomach. He says their glory is their shame. The things that they think will bring glory to their life actually brings shame to their life. He's talking about how people pursue all these meaningless things. They put all their chips in on money and and success and sex. 
The things that they believe will bring them glory in this life actually bring them shame. And he says this, this final thing, and it's sad. He says their destiny is destruction. Because of the things they pursue, they have no joy, they have no hope, and it will ruin their lives. And I have to say, I read this, and I go, yeah, yeah, yeah Paul, I hear you. Uh, he's talking about people who are opposed to Christ. He says their destiny is destruction. And yet, it seems to me at least, it seems that th sometimes there are people who are opposed to Jesus, seems to me, who are actually winning. It seems like those are the people that are actually getting ahead in life. We see this play out all over the world. We see this play out in our own everyday kind of lives, right? Maybe it's somebody that you work with. Keeps getting all the raises, all the accolades, closing all the, all the deals, getting the promotions, and is a total slime ball. And you're like, what gives? Hey, here, here am I. God, did you see me? I'm doing good things. I'm being honest at work. I'm being fair with my customers. I'm treating people well. Why does it seem like everyone else is getting ahead? It seems sometimes like the bad guys are winning. It seems like the people who are standing opposed to Jesus are the ones who are getting ahead. And what about the rest of us? And Paul says, it's short-lived. People who their gut is their God who pursue things that they think will bring them glory, but actually bring their shame. He says, it will cause them a downfall. It will be destruction in this life and the life to come. And he puts it all under one banner, all under one heading. He says, these are people who focus on, who set their mind on earthly things. And he says, it's in the end, it's their destruction. And it's sad. It brings Paul to tears. And I think we can be honest enough to say that there are some people that we look at that we go, honestly, you deserve destruction. Honestly, your life deserves to fall apart because you've hurt people. And it's like, yeah, I get that feeling. We can be honest about that. God put a sense of wanting justice inside of us. But Paul goes, there's no joy. There's no pleasure in the idea that people are ruining their lives. There's no pleasure in the idea that people are hurting other people, that they've so set their mind on earthly things that will end with everything falling apart in this life and the life to come. He says there's, there's, there's no joy in that for us, and there's no lasting joy for, for them. There are people who are living opposed to Jesus Christ. Paul says that, that they have no hope. That brings us no joy. They've set their mind on earthly things, and it steals their joy. But keep going. Verse 20, he says, but our, he's talking to Christ followers, but our citizenship is in heaven. But our, but our citizenship is in heaven. There are people in the world living opposed to Jesus who have set their mind on earthly things. Paul says, but we're different. There's something different about Christ followers. Our citizenship, yes, we're here on earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. So in the ancient world, he's writing to these people in the city of Philippi. And the, city of, uh, the people in the city of Philippi would understand this idea of dual citizenship because they had residency and citizenship of 
in Philippi, but they also had Roman citizenship. And so that was that Roman citizenship was the higher calling. That was the thing that they held on to because at the time, Rome is the biggest power in the world. They basically control everything. And so these people, although they lived in Philippi, which was hundreds of miles away from Rome, they cherished their Roman citizenship. They were ultimately ruled by Rome. They didn't follow Greek law. They followed Roman law. They, they kept up on news about Rome. They, they listened to their leaders in Rome because that was their citizenship. And so Paul says to these people in, in Philippi, our citizenship, Christ followers, our citizenship is in heaven. See, for you and I, we live in this world, but we're sons and daughters of the king. We have dual citizenship. We, we live here, but we belong somewhere else. And just like being a Roman citizen was a higher calling for the people in Philippi, so they lived by Roman law, Paul is calling us, okay, your citizenship, your higher citizenship is in heaven, and so you should live by the words that come from heaven. You should live by heavenly customs and heavenly authority and heavenly law. Yes, you're a citizen of this world, he says, but don't set your mind on earthly things because it will end in destruction. You will lose in this life and the life to come. There's no joy. This life is nothing but a bad night in a cheap motel. It will suck all the life out of you. It's not what you were made for. But our citizenship, he says, keep going, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The people in Philippi would wait to hear news from Rome. They would listen to their authorities there. They'd get all jacked up when Caesar came to town. Paul says, you have new citizenship. He plays on this idea, and he says, your citizenship isn't in, in just in Rome. It's in heaven, and the savior that you're waiting for, Caesar would call himself. Back then, Caesar called himself the savior. They said, the savior you're waiting for, it's not Caesar coming to town. It's Jesus Christ. You can live with your eyes on earthly things that will lead to destruction. Or you can live with your eyes fixed on Jesus and it will lead to joy. I want to I push on this a little bit. I want to camp out here for a few minutes because something that Paul has just done, he's walked us into some weird territory because Paul just mentioned something. He just mentioned this idea of the return of Christ, this notion that Jesus of Nazareth lived on earth. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven where he sat down next to the father on his throne. And one day he'll come back again. This idea, this, this notion about Christ returning, we don't talk about it very much. Why not? Because it sounds weird, right? And because people all over, people have hijacked Christ's return. They've hijacked it with all kinds of weird predictions, with all kinds of, oh, I have some prophetic vision of when Jesus is going to return, and how Jesus is going to return, and where Jesus is going to return. Maybe you remember this. It was in 2011. It was May 21st, I think. May 21st, 2011, 6 p.m. A guy predicted that he had a mathematical formula that that's when Christ was returning. It's 6 p.m. on May 21st in 2011. What a whack job. Like, you think that you can mathematically figure out when he's returning. Although I have to admit, I did look at my watch that day at six o'clock and I was like, crud, I don't know what time zone Jesus is on, but it's six here. Like, 
Christ's return has been so clouded by a bunch of buffoons who think they can predict this is what's going to happen and this is where it's going to happen and how. And they look at world events and try and predict all this stuff. No. So we've just started, we've stopped talking about it. But the biblical authors talk about the return of Christ all the time. Maybe more than anything else. In fact, in the New Testament, there are more than 300 references to the return of Christ. 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament talk about the return of Christ. And what was their mindset when they talked about Christ's return? Paul tells us. Paul says that we eagerly await. We eagerly await the Lord Jesus Christ. In English, the better translation is probably we wait it out. We wait it out. Remember when you were a kid and you wanted to go play outside, but it started raining or something. You're like, are we going to stay inside? No, we're going to wait it out, right? Or you're going to go on a picnic and it gets stormy. Are we canceling the picnic? No, we're going to wait it out. Why? Because the thing that we're waiting for is so worth it. We're going we're gonna to just wait it out. We eagerly await. We're waiting out. Yes, right now we're staying in this cheap motel, but the morning is coming. And when the morning comes, it will all be worth it. We're going to wait it out. The way he frames the return of Christ. It's like these guys wake up in the morning and they go, maybe today will be the day. Maybe today will be the day. And then they wake up the next day and they go, maybe today will be the day that I see Jesus. I mean, when you think about Christ's return to earth, do you think about it like that? Me neither. I mean, I think about the return of Christ, and of course, I want to see Jesus. I can't wait for this day when God wins and I see Jesus. Yes, sometimes I'm going, man, Jesus, like, let's wrap this thing up. Come on, let's go. But honestly, it's usually when things aren't going well. It's when I'm going through something difficult that I don't want to keep going through, or, or there's something I don't want to face. And so it's almost like hit the eject button by having Jesus come back. Come back now. Come fix all this, right? But honestly... When, when life is good, I think to myself, Jesus, just give me a little more time. Like, if you could just give me a little bit more time, because there's something I want to accomplish, or I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see my kids have their own families. I want to be a grandpa many, many years from now. I want to be a grandpa. Like, there's things I still want to do, right? And so it's, it's easy to be like, Jesus, just give me a little bit more time. But Paul's excited. He goes, this is our hope. This is our joy. He's mentioned it now three times in the book of Philippians. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Listen to some of the things that the Bible says about Christ's return. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. 1 Corinthians 15 says, In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And the saying will come true, death has been swallowed up by victory. Hebrews 9 says this, that Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he'll appear a second time, but this time not to bear sin, 
but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We're not supposed to be scared by the idea that Christ is coming. We're not supposed to try and make wacky predictions about what's going to happen and when's he coming back and what's that going to look like and where's it all going to happen. No. And we're also not supposed to fall in love with this world. This isn't our home. The return of Christ is our hope. Write this in your notes. I can have joy because Jesus is coming. All of us, every one of us, is staying in a cheap motel. It's dirty, it's scuzzy, stuff crawling on the walls. Don't put your feet up. This isn't your home. Jesus is coming. But you go, okay, so what? Like, what do we, I mean, even when you hear that, what do you think? You're like, okay, am I going to, what do I do? Do I just go out and stare at the sky and be like, okay, I'm waiting. Like, when's this going to happen? Like, what do we, what does this mean to us? Jesus is coming. Okay, someday, could be today, could be tomorrow. I don't know. Jesus is coming. I mean, let me, let me just talk to those of us for a minute that are hurting, that are struggling with something. I mean, because maybe you're here and you're, maybe you're hearing this and you're like, my, my hope is good. My joy is sky high. Praise God. That's a good thing. Thankful for those seasons in life. Just a little warning. Don't fall in love with this world. Let me talk to those of us for a minute that things aren't going great. You're lonely. You're sad. You're broke. You're ashamed. Something that you've done. You're embarrassed by something that's been done to you. You have regrets. You've been hurt. Go back to the passage for a minute. When you get to hard passages of Scripture with heavy concepts, and you go, I'm not sure I understand all this, always go back to the passage. Keep asking more. We eagerly await, he says, verse 20, we eagerly await a Savior from there, from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What stands out to you here? For me, it's the power. He has the power to bring everything under his control. The power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Bringing everything under his control. So think about it for a minute. It's not just I can have joy because Jesus is coming. We can actually add on to that sentence. It's, I can have joy because Jesus is coming and, and he'll fix everything. Do you see the connection that Paul makes? Jesus is coming and when he does, he'll fix everything. Everything is under his control. Jesus subjects everything to himself. So we saw this a couple weeks ago. Paul said that Jesus, at the, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow down and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, everything is under Jesus' control. And when he does come, he'll fix everything. My son is uh, six years old, and he waits for me every night to get home from work. Most nights he's hiding and he jumps out and attacks me, but he's really excited for me to get home from work. And of course he's excited to see dad, but it's, it's more than just, okay, dad is home. It's what comes with it. He knows that when dad gets home, we're going to throw the ball or we're going to wrestle or we're going to play a game. We're going to do something fun. He knows that when dad comes home, there's goodness. There's some gift that comes with it. Jesus is coming. And who is Jesus? He's good. He's loving. 
He's faithful. He's powerful. It's not just, oh, yeah, 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 Jesus is coming, as if it's some sequence of historical events. Yeah, it's just one other thing that has to happen. No, Jesus is coming, and when he does, he's going to make everything right. So, translation, child of God, you're tired, you feel worthless, you've been bullied been treated unfairly, you're tired of watching people pick on your kids, you're tired of watching someone you love struggle, you've been abused. Translation, it won't always be like this. It won't always be like this. Your citizenship is in heaven. Jesus will come one day, and he will gather all of us, you and me, he will gather all of us, and he will take us to be with him, and we will be with him forever, and he'll fix everything. It won't always be like this. I need you to understand this. I need you to see the connection here, that Jesus is coming, and he'll fix everything. I need you to look at the return of Christ, and please, God, help us see this as this beautiful thing that is our hope. I need you to never think of the return of Christ as something to argue about, about the theology of, as something for it to be divisive. Oh, it's going to happen this way. It's going to happen that way. I'm predicting world events. Somebody sneezes in Israel and you think it's the end of the world. Get out of here. The return of Christ is our hope. If Jesus isn't coming back, he's abandoned us. But he's coming. And it's not just that he's going to come and go, hey, here I am. He's coming. And when he does, he promises he will fix everything. That's our hope. Paul says at the end of his letter to the Corinthians, he says, Maranatha, it's an, Amer- it's an Aramaic phrase that means come, Lord Jesus, come now. He's excited. He goes, this is what we have to hope for. This world is not our home. It's barely a cheap motel. So what do we do with all of it? Okay, Christ is coming back. What do we do? Well, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have hope. You don't have lasting joy. And I'm not saying that with shame or condemnation. I'm saying that like the Apostle Paul with sadness. I'm sad for you if you don't have hope. But that could change today. It could change right now. You could say, Jesus, please give me joy. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to trust you with my life. Could I suggest to you that even right now, if if God has been tapping on you, calling you, answer him. Yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Change me from the inside out. Show me what that means. It doesn't mean that God is going to make your life perfect right now. It means that he will give you joy and he'll give you lasting hope and he'll transform you from the inside out. Hope that isn't just here for today, but that lasts for all time, this life and the life to come. For the rest of us, though, could I challenge you? The author of Hebrews says for us to fix our eyes on Jesus. I mean, maybe you're listening today and life is really good right now. 
Again, I'm thankful for those seasons in life. Maybe you're listening and life is really good. Works good. Just got a big raise. Just found out this week you're going to be a grandma, right? You're excited to go back to school. Parents, you're really excited because the kids are going back to school, right? Good things are happening. There is a temptation to fall in love with this world. When life is going really well, there is a temptation for us to go, man, let's get comfortable. This is pretty good. Don't. Don't get comfortable. It's easy for Paul to say he wants Christ to return. He's in a prison cell. His life is terrible. What about my life? It's great. This isn't your home. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For some of us, it's really hard, though, right now. Right, this, this staying in a cheap motel, it's got realities. There's bed bugs, you know? Life is hard. Your marriage is disintegrating. The pain of loss is heavy. You're lonely. You thought you'd find a partner for life by now. The darkness of depression and anxiety is so deep you can't get out of bed. It won't always be like this. I mean, maybe there's, sometimes there's not the right words to say, but that's the truth. It won't always be like this. Let me finish with some scripture, just reading a passage of scripture. It's the very end of the Bible. See, we've been saying in this series that we can have joy when God wins. Jesus is going to come and he's going to fix everything. Do you know what that looks like? Just listen for a minute. You can close your eyes and listen if you want. Just sit back and listen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It was prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. He'll be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning to the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. It won't always be like this. My friend, Jesus is coming, and he'll fix everything. Pray with me. Father, I'm so thankful for your word that invades our life and shows us truth, that this life isn't 
what we were made for. This isn't our home. You have something far better in mind. And one day, you'll take us there. Bring us home. That's our hope. You haven't abandoned us. God, for anyone today, the sound of my voice, who hasn't had a relationship with Jesus, who hasn't had real lasting hope and joy in their life. God, I beg of you, even right now in this moment, to stir their heart, that they would be humble before you and say, Jesus, I want to trust you with my life. I need hope. I need joy. God, please move here and online. God, help us. Help us to know that this isn't home. Help us to be like Paul and the other writers in the Bible who were so excited that Christ was coming. Help us. God, I'm not even close to this. Help me. That I would have a mind and a heart that I would wake up in the morning to say, maybe today's the day that I'll see Jesus. Maybe today's the day that I'll see my friend face to face. God, there's a day coming that you win. And Jesus comes and fixes everything. Right now we're stuck in what feels like dirty, cheap motel. From here until that day, God, help us to have joy. Not found in the things of this world, but found in your son, Jesus Christ. Lasting joy for this life and the life to come. God, we ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.